Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team today on mariners memories we visit with former mariners closer mike schooler schooler pitched for the mariners from 1988 to 1992 racking up nearly 100 saves in his mariners career schooler, the sign from dave valley he goes to the stretch here comes the one two on the way to dwyer now with two outs and this time the breaking ball got him swinging and it's over and Mike Schooler has set a new American League record in his 110th appearance. He has his 50th career save and his second here in 1990. He ended his six-year big league career in 1993 with the Texas Rangers. And one of the most amazing aspects of Schooler's career was how he got to the major leagues. I played my freshman year in high school, my junior year in high school. I got cut my senior year. I tried out at Fullerton College two years in a row. I got cut, went to Cyprus, and made the team. Cyprus wasn't very good, and then I went to Golden West, had a great year, and then Cal State Fullerton, and then signed. But here I was. I mean, I was my last gasp. I was I was out of I was not going to play baseball after I got cut in high school and got cut in college three years in a row. And I was like, just was persistent because I loved to play. Actually, I, I played with like a semi-pro team before I went to Cyprus and this guy goes, yeah, I'm playing to Cyprus. And I'm like, Cyprus, man, what's, what, you know, are they any good? And he goes, no, he goes, but you could probably play there. So I did. And then it kind of snowballed from there, but it was kind of like here I was playing in a, you know, almost a beer league. And it kind of went from there. So I look back and go, somebody was watching over me. Cause I, it's hard to believe that I was, that I made it to the big leagues. Actually, I ran into the, Baseball coach who cut me, I ran into him while I was coaching at San Clemente High School because he was a, he's a pro scout for the Angels. And I remember talking to him. I was like, I haven't talked to this guy since he cut me. And I remember him, and I had such bitterness to him because I'm like, how could you cut me? And I talked to him, and he goes, he goes, I, he goes, I cannot believe that I cut you. And I'm like, I go, well, you did. You couldn't have saw this. And he goes, well, he goes, I'm so glad and happy for you. I, I, he goes, I'm glad that, that it worked out. And I'm like, me too. And I go, you know what? And I shook his hand. I'm like, thanks for talking to you. I go, because I've had such bad feelings about you for so many years that were wrong. There shouldn't have been. It was just, you know, it was kind of funny to see that. So that kind of kind of cleansed my, my soul for that. So and saw it as a blessing, you know. What if I made that team and nothing happened? But it was just 
I'll never take for granted what happened. It was as being awesome. One of the things looking back on your career that I find remarkable is I look at you getting the call in 1988 to the Mariners and here you are your second big league game. You're in a safe situation <laughs> in a one run ball game with a runner aboard against the twins. I mean, you were a closer from the second you stepped on the field, which is remarkable. Jim Snyder was the manager and he's like, you know, don't worry, Mike, we're going to ease you in, you know, you've been a closer. You're just, cause I'd went just, I just went to closer from, uh, went to Venezuela. So I hadn't been doing, it wasn't like I was a trained closer like they are nowadays. So I remember he's like, yeah, we brought Mike Jackson. He's going to fill in. You're just going to kind of back him up, set him up. And I was like, okay. Next thing I know, he's, I'm in there facing, uh, facing Tommy Herr. Mm. And I was like, I'm standing on the mound going, Tommy Herr, didn't I just see this guy on TV win the World Series? I'm like, okay, this is my guy. I got I, I to get him out. So, so I got a ground ball to Harold. Uh, Alvin committed, so I had to run over there. And, of course, Harold throws one right at my ankles. And I was like, <laughs> so I'm running over there, and I'm like, just give me a good feed, good feed. And, and I, I was able to dig down and get it and get the save. And kind of from there, it went – you know, went into the closer role by fire. So it's kind of, I don't remember a lot of saves, but that one I, I distinctly remember. So it was kind of interesting. And, you know, Harry, Harold Reynolds, he's a great guy. He's like, dude, I'm sorry, man. I, I could have given you a better feed on your first save. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you went through the system quickly, but you were a starter. Mm -hmm first three years yeah. why would they change uh, from starter to bullpen because i i would bounce back pretty well from my uh from my on my starts um and i was i did pretty well in uh single a wausau and then i was having a really good year in chattanooga and um bill haywood was the was the player minor league player development and i remember i was about three quarters of the way through the system in chattanooga and he calls me in met with him and Sal Rendy and Dan Worthen, who was the pitching coach. And they said, you know, Mike, we're, uh, we think your best, your future is in the, the Mariners organization is to be a reliever. And back then, you know, this is 87 back then starters were starters, you know, and the relievers were whoever was up next pretty much. There wasn't the, the whole lefty righty, set up long man it was like whoever's available and whoever's at the end of the game is pretty much closing it out and my first thought was man that's i don't know about this i don't know i felt like i was having a really good year and i'm like there it felt like a demotion and then i think bill uh bill haywood he was a he was kind of a rough guy he was kind of like this is the way he steps in he goes mike i'm gonna tell you one thing we feel this is your quickest way to get to the major leagues. And as soon as I heard major leagues, I went, I'm in. Okay. Cause I went from, Oh geez, here I am. I'm, I'm they're going to send me to the bullpen. You know, they don't think I blah, blah, blah. And then as soon as he said that, I was like, I'm in. So you're going to start your next start. And then we're going to uh, end the season with you in the bullpen. I'm like, okay. The next start, I, I threw a three hit shutout. <laughs> struck out 11, 12 guys against the Atlanta Braves organization. 
with like Jeff Blauser and uh, Dave Justice and all those guys. And I was like, okay, now that's my last start. And then they kind of met, well, we'll let you finish out the season. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I was kind of in flux. I was like, where, what am I going from here? And then they, they sent me down to instructional league. They said, we're going to send you to Venezuela, Caracas, Venezuela to become a closer. It was really just kind of amazing. I went from here, this guy was in college and then two years later, I'm already going down to Venezuela. And when I got down there, I realized this isn't double A anymore. You know, you got Andres Galarraga, Tony Armas, Ozzy Guillen, all the, you got big leaguers playing and then they're like, you know, by the way, we're going to, you're going to fit into the closer role. <laughs> okay. But uh, I had a pretty successful year. Uh, it worked out really well. And then, you know, that's how I kind of slipped into that. It's kind of just a whirlwind of, of activities. Like you're going here, you're going there, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, now you're going to, we're going to send you to big league camp and you're going to have a chance for the, for the, for the uh, a relief role with the Mariners. And I'm sitting there going, okay. <laughs> it's like, the path was, was just kept narrowing and narrowing to the big leagues. And I'm like, just going along with the flow. You know, I've realized if I get people out, it gets the better I do, the more people I get out, the, the more chance I have to get to the big leagues. And you make it and you develop into really one of the first closers in Mariners history. As you kind of alluded to the role. I mean, it was a developing role at the time. There had been closers obviously, but it's not like it is now. Is it a role that once you got going that you really embraced and felt it was yours? Yeah, yeah I loved it. I just, um, as a starter, you, 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 you're, you're geared up every five days. And I mean, I love to pitch. I mean, I grew, I pitched in little league. I pitched in college, wherever I was, I played and I pitched, I loved to pitch. And I, I, I remember, I remember telling, uh, Sal Rendy, I think when I was in double A and I was like, I'd go throw a bullpen and my arm felt great. And I'd be like, if you need an inning, I, you know, give me an inning instead of throwing a bullpen. And he's like, Oh, no, dude, not, that's not possible. But I was like, I just wanted to, to pitch. And, and it, it didn't, it didn't bother me. My arm was fine. And uh, I, I bounced back. And I, I think also was the competition. Mm. being on that being on the field and, and pitching was 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 definitely a place I love to be well you put together some big seasons I mean 30 plus save seasons as a closer you look at the rankings in terms of saves you know top five top seven uh, in a couple of years I mean what were those years like when you were closing out uh, that those big numbers in terms of saves I never was a big stat into stats and ERA and stuff like that and, and saves. And I looked back and, you know, maybe if I was a little more aware of it, I would have been, I think being naive about all that helped me because mm. seeing the stats and worrying about your stats and this and that, I think that's what helped me was, you know what? Okay. I give up, give up two runs. Uh, you know, the, how does it affect my ERA? And I'm like, how did it affect the team? If I blew a save, I was like, okay, I gave up a run. Who gives a, you know, I don't care the fact that the team lost, but I don't know. I just, I think that was one of the mentalities that Jim Lefevre always used to talk about. You go, you got a closer mentality. And I thought, what, what's a closer mentality? And I, I kind of thought about it a little bit more and it's like, 
you want to be out there the next every day, except and you got can't worry about the last day. I've never got to the point where I I need to get a save. I'm at 29 saves. I need 30 saves. I you know I've got whatever. I just never I never thought about it that way. I think that's what I never. I just lived in the moment when when the next time I was going to pitch and when I was going to get a save. So I think that kind of helped me throughout the years and. That's kind of what I thought. That's how I thought about the role. Yeah. And you mentioned Jim Lefevre and you mentioned the team. You were part of the team that broke through the team that finished <laughs> over 500 for the first time. And for fans that were here, they remember that year and what a big deal that was. What do you remember about that season? Here was the 0-2 pitch on the way, swinging a one hopper back to the mound. Swift has it, throws the first, and at seven minutes after 10 down here in Texas, the M's get a 15-year-old Simeon off their back. A gorilla, a monkey, it is gone. They have assured themselves that they are a 500 ball club. They are now 81 and 78 and flying home a mighty happy group, I guarantee you. My, oh my, it's finally over. It's funny you say that because I was just thinking about that because I was thinking about the, I haven't talked to anybody in baseball or anything like that for years. I was like, I wonder if that will come up. And I remember that was a big deal. And at first, I, we all thought as we were playing, going 81, get to 81 wins, you're guaranteed a, a winning season or a break-even season. And I remember sitting there going, wow, that's a pretty lame goal to set. But then I realized how everybody was excited about it. The fans were excited about it. And I was, then I came to appreciate it more after the fact, going, you know what? That's, a, that's the first step towards a winning team because you got to do that at one point. And I understood after, after the fact I understood, yeah, it was a big deal. And that was something special to be a part of. Have you kept anything from your playing days? I've got most of my save balls, most of my significant save first save and all that stuff and some jerseys and stuff. I have a couple pictures with Griffey and my sons and they're like, I have a picture of Griffey holding my youngest son. Other than that, I don't really, I don't have a lot of, memorabilia and that's a one thing i wish i would have done better was save more stuff mm. at the time you're like you're not thinking about it yeah. and i also have a couple nolan ryan signed baseballs which were my were, which was are definitely the prize of my uh, collection because growing up i was an angel fan grew up in anaheim california and watching nolan ryan pitch he was one of my one of my uh I wouldn't say heroes, but he was one of my guys, one of my guys I looked up to and really wanted to be like. Did you go talk to him and get him signed? No, what they would do is I remember when, when they would come into town, they'd be like, if you want anything signed by Nolan, Nolan Ryan, you got to send it over the first day. If he's not pitching, the first day he's not pitching, he'll spend whatever it is. So I had two, you know, had a couple of baseballs. He signed them to my first son, MJ, and then my second son, Clint. Uh, he signed those. So I have those. And the funny part about that is 93, my last year in the big leagues, I played in Texas and I played with him and my youngest son, Brett didn't, he was born that year. I didn't get one signed by him. And I'm like, I played with him and I never got one signed by him. So I thought it was easier to get a ball, something signed by Nolan Ryan when you're on the other team and you just had the clubhouse guys send it over. But I didn't want to walk over there and say, Hey, can you sign this? He was a good guy, but he's just, you know, I, I wasn't like that. 
But I do remember I was taking a weird, even though I grew up in Anaheim, I was, like we say at the Doubletree, and I was taking a cab to Anaheim Stadium. And I, you know, I was looking around because I grew up right in that neighborhood and I'm driving, looking around, taking it all in for the first time. I've been there tons of times, but I'm sitting there going, thinking about Nolan Ryan. I'm like, wow, am I, I'm actually going to be playing on a game in a game with Nolan Ryan in the stadium. I grew up watching him. And I was like, it was just after all I'd been through, I'm like, wow, this is surreal. And it was really, it was pretty awesome. And I remember talking to him and I said, because everybody called him Noli. I said, Noli, man, I remember coming here watching you when I was a kid. And he thought I was busting his chops because, you know, oh yeah, here you are. You're you're a little you're a kid and you're playing, you know, how old am I? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And I was trying to be, I was trying to give him my ultimate respect and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, Oh, please don't tell me you're one of those snot-nosed little brats that would yell at me from the stands. And I'm like, I was thinking to myself. No, I, I would never yell at you, man. I, you were my favorite, but it, then he was just giving me a hard time. But it was kind of funny. I'm and I was like, wow, that's that hit me, and it was kind of interesting how I how I remember how those feelings come back. I just remember seeing him sitting in that locker room, and man, it, it just like I would never want to watch him on the mound as I was hitting, because talk about competitors. He was the he was the ultimate competitor, and yeah. it, it was great to be. To, to play actually pitching a game in a little set in a setup role. Um, I came in right after him and in, in Texas and I was like, Oh my God, he left a couple of runners on base and I'm going, jeez, don't, don't give up his runs. Don't give up his runs. And I was like, I don't, it's kind of funny. Cause I gave up a long fly ball to left center. And for some reason in Texas, usually, there's weird, sometimes the ball just flies out and other times it gets knocked down and it, and it was, it got knocked down the old stadium. And I was like, okay, good. What got, I was relieved. I got out of the inning. I'm like, I did not want to walk into that dugout and see him after giving up two runs, two of his runs, but it was, that was pretty fun. Oh man. That's so great. Hey, what do you remember about when you came into games, school's out. Do you remember the music playing every time you came in? You know what? I remembered it after somebody pointed it out to me because that was kind of the start of the, the walk up, walk out, walk up music. And I remember because when I would go into the game, <clears throat> I would always be I would just be going to the game and just be focused on what I'm doing. I'm not worried about all the peripheral stuff. And I remember sitting in the sitting in the uh, bullpen. I think it was Keith Comstock or somebody like that. And they're like, well, what do you think about the song? I'm like, what song? And they're going, the song they play, School's Out for Summer by Alice Cooper. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it was kind of, I'm like, they, they play that? And they're like, yeah, of course they do. You know, that's your walkout. And I'm like, okay. So the next time I went in, I was like, okay, I'm going to, and I, I was warming up and I made myself look. And then they had the, the some, 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 some stuff on the big screen with the schools out and all that stuff. And I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. And then I refocused, but it was kind of like, I thought about it and I was like, I'd never even really worried about it. You know, now everybody, we, we talk about it. The funny thing is I tell the kids, cause I'm a PE, been a PE teacher for the last 18 years in the, in Southern California. And we'll play like, we'll go to the fitness lab and I'll, they don't want to listen to my music. They want to listen to whatever the music they listen to. So I'll play schools out and they're like, why are you playing that? And I'm like, that was my walkout song. And they're like, what's a walkout song? 
<laughs> it just cracks them up because they're like, and then the kids who actually know sports and play baseball or whatever. And they're like, that's your walkout. That, wow. You had one of those. I'm like, yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of funny. I have to talk to you about the, an extra inning game against the Red Sox where you ended up batting in the ball game. So you, you have not only uh, you have a, a ton of saves to your credit to years in the major leagues, you have a major league plate appearance to your credit. Too. Right. <laughs> Before that, when's the last time you had batted and what was that experience like? I batted in my freshman year of college at Cypress college. And I had an at bat and the coach thought, cause I wasn't pitching very well. And the coach thought, I took batting practice with everybody, with the guys, and I hit a couple home runs, and I was like, so he put me in, in a game, and, you know, I I didn't do very well, and so that was the last time, and then I get up there, and the interesting part about, there's a lot of interesting things about that at bat, was I just picked, I gave, I got had two bases loaded uh, innings where that I got out of, and I thought it was two, and I think it was two, after my second, second inning, two and two thirds. So I'm walking off. I'm like, Oh man, I'm done. All right. So the fever calls me over schools, schools, come here. I'm like, what? Okay, great. He's going to tell me you're done. We're getting him in. He goes, okay, so here's what, the, here's what's going to happen. You're going to, you're going to get in at bat. He goes, I want you to take a strike. I want you to take until you get a strike. You don't even swing that. You know what bat until you get a strike on you or two strikes on you. Cause you just want hope oh, I walk. And I'm like, what? Okay. here we go. So, so I'm walking around. I'm like, I need a bat. I asked Henry Cotto, Henry, cause I know Henry Cotto. He's, he used light bats. Mm-hmm. And he, it was, I'm like, Henry, you got a bat. Can I borrow one of your bats? He said, no, I'm going to let you break one of my bats. I'm like, Oh, great. Okay. I couldn't find a bat. So finally somebody hands me a, a Buner's bat. I'm like, okay, fine. The first pitch, I'd never seen a pitch that was 94 miles an hour. And after that first pitch, I was like, yeah, I'm done. So I ended up jam, getting a jam shot. I made contact, jam shot to second base. They throw me out. And I'm sitting there going, man, I thought I was on that ball. <laughs> it's a 34 and a half, 34 ounce bat. That's, I go, that's probably why it didn't break. If it, yeah. was a, like, if it was a lighter bat and with a smaller handle, it probably would have broke. So I was like, Okay. So I'm running, I'm, I'm out of there. I'm like, man, this is, I'm glad I'm a pitcher. You know, it's interesting in the era that you played, cause you kind of bridged the, as I think about it, kind of the Alvin Davis, Harold Reynolds era to what became the Ken Griffey Jr. Edgar Martinez, Jay Buhner era. <laughs> and you were kind of right in the middle. You went from one to the other. Uh, Let's talk about the Alvin Davis era a little bit. What do you remember about playing with AD, one of the best Mariners in history? He was, to me, was a was a, a incredible athlete. I mean, a great baseball player. But as a guy, as a man, as a as a mentor, as a person, he was unsurpassed. You know, he didn't look at you as a rookie or look at me or anybody. He he looked at you as a person, and he was. He looks, he, he, he was a guy who led by example in both aspects, both on the field and off the field. And uh, he was a great teammate to play with, but he was also a great friend to be around and to, to, to lead. And he embraced that role, which was 
you know, some guys try to enforce themselves and their beliefs and stuff. And he wasn't like that at all. He was just, Hey, you're a grown man. You're, you, you, you got a job to do. This is your job. Make sure you realize that and conduct yourself in a professional manner and, you know, do the best you come, come to the field prepared. And I think that's what I remember most about him was his, not only a person off the field, but a great influence on the field too. I mean, yeah. I don't have, I had many conversations with him after some rough games. Um, he was the first guy really that, that would, I that would always talk to you. If I had a great game, it was, you know, you don't need to uplift anybody, but if you had a bad game, you know, kind of, it's like the oil, you know, everybody separates, but he would be the first guy there to talk to you and say, Hey man, go get him next time you're there. Um, and same with Harold Reynolds. He was, they were both the same, but Alvin really stood out. So I, I really respected him. And I, he's the one guy I wish I could, you know, would wish I could talk to everybody goes, who would you like to talk? Who do you talk? And I'm like, I don't talk to a lot of people, but he was, I, I think of him and it'd be nice to, to see, to see him and see how things are going. Yeah. Wonderful guy in 88, your seventh and rookie of the year. You had a tremendous <laughs> rookie season and then 89 rolls around. And this 19 year old is on the club to start the season. What are your memories of early Ken Griffey jr.? I remember him in instructional league the year before that, maybe a couple of years. I think I went to instruction. We went to instructional league a couple of years together. That's the league that you well know that they send the prospects down to, to get extra work in Arizona at the end of the season. And I, I remember he was, he was a great guy. I, I, I remember reading, I'm like King Griffey jr. Number one pick, he's going to come in and how's he going to be? Is he going to be above it all? Is he going to be the guy who doesn't, think that he needs to be around everybody, you know, kind of just that superstar mentality, but he definitely wasn't, he was, he was a good guy. He was fun to be around. And I think that's why they call him the kid because he was like a kid. I mean, he was out there no matter what he'd be out there in instructional league at nine o'clock in the morning. Everybody's going, I don't know. he's out there running around, just loving baseball. And he, it, his mentality was infectious. It was like, man, here you got this kid. He's running around. He's bouncing off the walls. And I remember somebody telling, asking about him in spring training. If he, you have, does he have a chance to make the team? And I'm like, I think it was 89. I'm like, I don't know. I go, if they take it on his production, he has a good chance. And that spring, he just, he tore it up. I mean, he was raking the ball. He was just mash. He was just playing great defense. You know, he'd run down balls. I'm, there's many balls. I'm sitting there, and there's expansive Arizona uh, baseball fields. You give up one in the gap, and I'm like, I don't know. Where, what base do I back up? And then you see him running, and it's like that little. And I'm like, wow, this kid's going to be special. But the thing about him looking to jump to his career, which I followed his career, obviously, I think about him and if, if he didn't have a couple of those injury years in Cincinnati, the things he could have done, what his career is great. I mean, great career, but imagine the numbers he could have put up because he just, he loved about being out there and playing. Absolutely. No doubt. So for fans that didn't get a chance to watch you pitch, how would you describe yourself to a fan that never got to see you? It's tough to, it's tough to, to, 
equate it to these days, to the current days and how it's been? Because now everybody, they judge everybody on how fast, how hard you throw, which is amazing. These guys, what they're doing with these numbers is amazing. But I would have to say, I, I guess I'd describe myself more as a, as a power control pitcher. I didn't throw extremely hard, but I threw hard enough to, to, for my fastball to, to be all right. But the ball moved a lot. But the main thing was my fastball slider, one went one way, one went the other way. And I just threw strikes. Uh, and I tell the young kids, I've coached high school baseball for 15 years. And I try to tell the kids, you got to throw strikes. So that's why I would say maybe a control power pitcher kind of, uh, and competitive. I mean, that's another thing I, I tell the kids you can't teach is you got to want to get somebody out. You got to want to not get beat. And I just don't, I don't know how, how to explain that. Yeah. Um, I just love to compete, you know, Matt, no matter what it was, if it was a 10 run game or a one run game, I wanted to get that guy out. I, I, I feel like I was giving it my all on every, every at bat and every inning. When you think about your time in Seattle, do you have a, a couple of favorite moments that you think back on? Obviously the first, my first save was definitely, was definitely uh, the highlight. Uh, probably uh, it's, it's tough to say so many, so many moments, but um, after my first injury, when I hurt my, when I really hurt my arm, my shoulder, that first, first inning back meant something, you know, being out on the field and people cheering and, you know, just welcoming me back to the field. That was, that was very special too. It felt, I don't know if a lot of people don't probably can't remember or never experienced the kingdom, but no matter how big it was, it felt like you were right there. Because everybody stood out, it seemed like. And it's like you, if you're walking up, you could make eye contact with people talking to you. So, and, that, and the positive encouragement was, I remember, but not saying that there wasn't any unpositive encouragement, discouragement, but it's, it goes with the game. I can't really say a lot of different, you know, things. I can remember the, uh, the worst one. I, I don't know if you want to hear that one, but is the Dave Winfield Grand Slam, I think in 19... 19- <laughs> 91 maybe i'm not exactly sure i remember it was opening day and i gave up a grand slam to dave winfield and i was like i had a spring train i i just i was coming back from my injury had a spring train i didn't give up a run gave up hardly any hits and felt i'm back when i go out there and hang a slider to dave winfield and he has a grand slam i remember wow okay it's not spring training anymore but it's all my memories are, I, I have fond memories, but I think the general memory is just being around the players and stuff. That's, that's what I remember, remember most being in the locker room, having my kids, my oldest son, MJ, who's now 32 being coming in the locker room after the game with Brian Holman's son, Scott and uh, Jay Buner, not a Jay, uh, there was another, Oh, Dave Cochran. I remember Dave Cochran was there. He was a childhood friend of mine. We played baseball in little league together and really? we ended up. Yeah. We ended up being in the big leagues together. He's, he That's lived right down the street to, with, from me. So we, uh, it was kind of funny cause I'm sitting there going, Dave, what did, what's he doing? He, we, why did we sign him? And I was giving him a hard time. I'm like, why did we sign this guy? So 
but yeah, he was there and his, and, you know, we got along and their, their kids were about the same age and, you know, just, just that aspect was, was very memorable. Who was the uh, toughest hitter you faced? As many times I've been asked that I, it's the same guy for years and years is Wally Joyner. Hmm. He's, you remember Wally Joyner, oh, Wally yeah. World, Anaheim Stadium. Yeah. First baseman, yeah. He, man, he, for some reason, I just couldn't get him out. He, when I played golf, my, our, my agent represented both of us. I remember golfing with him, and I'm like, I just, I would talk to him. I'm like, he would go, dude, you, what's, you're so nasty. You know, you got that slider, you got the sinker, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, really? You're like, nine for 10 off me. He goes, yeah, but you got nasty stuff. He goes, <laughs> but I've just been fortunate. And I'm like, okay. So it's, but he was, he was pretty tough. And you would think that I got lefties out. I think I'd got lefties out pretty well, but he just, I don't know. He seemed like he was a guy who was, who was on it. Um, Kirby Puckett also was a tough guy. Mm-hmm. We always joked around about him was if you're a control pitcher, if you throw strikes, you you can get Kirby Puckett out because if you miss, he's a bad bad ball hitter. So when we we didn't figure that out, and here I am, I'm sitting there trying to get him to chase balls out of the zone, up and in and stuff. That was my game, and I'm like, okay, I'm throwing a ball at his eyes, in off his hands, and he's he's drilling it down the right field line, throw a slider outside outer half about off your ankles, and he's hooking that down the line, and I'm like wow. Okay. When, when I go to this situation, I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to throw him a strike. I got up. I remember it was in, in uh, Minneapolis and I was like, I threw a strike BP fastball, boom, right down the middle. And he took it. And I'm like, wow, he really, he was just sitting there. It was almost like he was geared up to, for something nasty. So of course I'm like, okay, I get two strikes on him. I'm like, okay, fine. So then I'm going to go, I'm just going to, I'm just going to bust one in on him, see how he does it. And then he, Blops, bleeds one over the uh, first baseman's head. And I'm like, okay, so stick with the program. But for those two guys, I mean, and those guys were great hitters. So yeah. I needed the big swingers to, to, to get those guys out. Yeah. Cause these things always work the other way too. So who are the great hitters that you really did well against? Who do you remember? Like, yeah, I have your number. I would have to say probably the best is Mark McGuire. Hmm. And he was, he was, he was, if we were meant for each other, if he was a hitter for me, you know, I, you could bust him in with a fastball and throw sliders away. And he just, for some reason, he, he didn't see the ball well. And I, I did pretty well against him, but then, you know, he was hitting all those home runs and I'm like going, I don't know. I like seeing him come up because it went well for me. You know what I mean? I, I, we, we, it was a good scouting thing for me, you know, fastballs in sliders away. Cecil Fielder was the same guy. Mm. I did pretty well against the big home run hitter. That's it right there. I need these guys who really, if you pitch them backwards, you throw them sliders early fastballs away. You, you can get them out. The good contact hitters. Those are the, those are the tough guys. Cause they got the good eyes and you know, they don't hit until you hang one and, I remember Sparky Anderson used to drive me crazy because whenever I'd get in there, he'd put Gary Pettis up there. Really? You got, you got Alan Trammell, you got Cecil Fielder, you got all these. And then, I mean, actually I, he pitched it for somebody big one time and I'm like, okay, 
I ended up walking, walking him because he just just sitting there, and I'm like, I just couldn't, I just couldn't get him out. And then next, he'd still second. He did it like three times in a row with me, and I remember talking to Gary because I he lived in Southern California. He's like, I always knew schools when you came in, I was getting in a bat. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Oh, that's great. Oh man, Mike, this has been so much fun. I, I kept you way longer than I promised, but I well, that's funny. For all the time. Thank you very much. I, you know, I, I always, I always like to get a chance to talk to talk about stuff. I don't really a lot when when I'm around my friends. They've all heard the story, so it's kind of like okay, whatever. But it's it's good to it's good to talk to somebody who knows the history of the Mariners and and all that stuff. So it, it's fun for me. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.